This is starting from zero. Coming from a blank canvas, like the realm of infinite possibility, my higher power was essentially just pure love. What are we beyond the physical body? What are we beyond our thoughts? You have to be able to be in a place of kind of unconditional positive regard and loving acceptance. Now. 444, make a wish. Oh, it's 444. Are you serious? Yes. Um, do I have to say it aloud? No. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. 444. This wasn't intentional, guys. Hold on a sec. Hmm. I got my wish. I got my wish. Well, uh, that sounds weird. Ah, much better. Well, hello, guys. Happy Sunday. It's actually Monday. Are you serious? Yeah, it's Monday, President's Day. Oh, Jesus Christ. It is <laughs> President's Day. And I bet you, you see, part of me wishes it was Sunday because I'm dreading it's, oh, man. You know, I just wish we just can have Mondays off in general, just mm-hmm. like friends. <laughs> but then Tuesdays would be Mondays and there'd always be that one day, right? Yeah, no, no, but yeah, it's it's about time like Mondays get a break of just like being the new Sunday. So seriously, well, happy President's Day, everybody, or whatever you're doing now. So I'm here with Sandra Morris, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is literally the second time we met. It is. Literally the second time we met. Obviously, met through our mutual friend Briar, and we just we just clicked. In my opinion, because yeah, I was just immediately like the, clicked. Yeah, because I just feel like there was so much similarities in how we think, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very it was very refreshing just hearing a little bit of your stories and stuff like that. The, but tell the truth, I have still no have no idea. What other things you do? Well, I know you do a lot. <laughs> How do you That's know I, I do like, a lot? I just... <laughs> I You're just a hustler. I just think you're like a very hard worker. You know, like I just get that sense. But like, actually, just elaborate. Like, what do you do, actually? Yeah. So I do a lot of things. Um, where do <laughs> I start? Well, I'm an associate therapist and a life coach. Those are the main things I do. So I have my own business, which I've had for six years called- Congrats. Thank you. It's called Healing Light Coaching. Mm. So I do different forms of life coaching and I'm trained in clinical hypnotherapy. So I do hypnosis, meridian tapping, creative visualization, guided meditation, um, kind of more alternative healing modalities, Mm -hmm. but not too out there, just kind of more like mind-body connection type work. Mm -hmm. And then I'm an associate therapist. So for the past two years, I've been a grief counselor in hospice. Mm, I do remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm an art therapist for Contra Costa County. So I do art therapy with people bedside in the hospital. I do art therapy in the psych ward, um, detention center, and wellness centers. 
are you a saint or something? Like you need to, you need to calm you need to calm down and making people start making people feel bad. Like no, seriously, what you just mentioned in terms of those professions, yeah. like no, explain your commute day. Like people, uh, just to give it people a sense of the barrier, like especially in those places you're going to, in clients or whatever. Like, guys, Zan doesn't just sit in one place, but I, I like, actually seriously. this past year I've I worked in four different counties. Oh my god! So I worked in Sonoma County, Alameda County, Marin County, and Contra Costa County. <laughs> And on a given, in general, I only worked in three counties yeah. a week, but uh, every day it's my commute is anywhere from 50 minutes to an 90 minutes. So, I mean, that's not horrific by Bay Area yeah. standards, but it's pretty exhausting. It's, it's still exhausting. Yeah. And I'm like, I tell people like in my previous career, I had that one job, one project like in Milpitas mm-hmm. and Sunday in Mountain View and just doing that every day. Like... And, and people were expected to be in a very good mindset to come to work or go back home to their either a significant other, themselves or their children and have like a mentally sound day. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Like it's even I remember doing that and I was like, I said, love, God, for my next job, like, please, like, I don't want to deal with this stress usually. Yeah. I had no other responsibility, but I can't imagine the people on the road right now. I'll probably get on the road tomorrow dreading this. Some people are used to it. Kudos to you, but it's kind of like, it's so unhealthy. Like, I, I don't even joke about it at yeah. all. Like, it's so unhealthy. It but, is really unhealthy. But going back to you and doing all that and, and just like, like, I can really tell that you're really passionate about this. So, yeah. I am. And I'm actually, my contract at my hospice job is ending. It was a two-year contract, Mm. wonderful work, but I do need a break from grief counseling. So I'm just going to be working in the East Bay now doing art therapy. And I'm so excited because that's where my heart is truly at. I just want to do art therapy right now. Mm. So art therapy for anyone who doesn't know is like, it's basically therapy, but using the arts to help people with, you know, emotional self-expression and emotional release and building resiliency and coping skills. Mm-hmm. It's, I think I have like the best job in the world. You know, someone said to me, you get paid to love people. And I feel wow. like that's true. I get paid to love people. Mm. And... Let's talk about your beginnings a little bit. Oh, yeah, or yeah. Why, or why you, you went through there. Like, um, what got you very attracted to psychology? Mm-hmm. Is it like picking a Carl Jung book? Like, you know, Freudism? You know, it's like, what was, <laughs> what was that? And I still need to read that freaking Jung book, by the way. It's sort of sitting there. And like... What what fascinated with you and that from your personal life? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, this is what I really want to specialize in. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a weird story. So I my undergraduate degree was in international development studies with ah. an emphasis in sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America. Mm. And then I minored in Latin American studies and Spanish. So I wanted to like be someone who travels and something to do with international relations and that didn't happen. Um, I got really sick my last year of college when I was supposed to graduate and I had to drop out of school because 
I got so sick to the point where like I could hardly walk to the bathroom. So I just like it wasn't I couldn't, you know, go to class because I I couldn't even like walk to class. Mm. So I spent and then I I tried to heal for a year. I tried to go back to school and then I had to drop out again. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I ended up getting diagnosed with like a pretty severe neurological disease and I spent several years bedridden. And like one of the only things I could do, because I really couldn't do anything, was like creative things. So when I had the energy to write poetry, I'd write poetry from bed or I'd like draw or I'd look at, you know, photography online. But like the only, the only thing I could do was creative, right? I could just be creative. And I remember thinking to myself like, gosh, art is so healing or the arts are healing. Self-expression is healing. And I thought, you know, art is therapy. Mm. And then I thought about art therapy and I didn't even know it existed. So I Google searched art therapy and I found out it was an actual profession. And I remember telling a friend, Pon- hi, Poncho, hey. my friend Poncho, Saw Poncho. Um, who he used to work at Little Baobab. Which, yes. Yeah, which is now in Oakland. It used to be in San Francisco. Unfortunately, Little Baobab closed oh, in no. December. Yeah, just FYI. Oh, that's so, so sad. And um, yeah, that's another topic. Like, it, the guy did so much for the community. And, yeah, and I remember so, him. I'm so sad. Like, and obviously the the other Baobab in San Francisco has been closed too. So um, mm. that's pretty sad. But anyways. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. That's a bummer. I didn't know that. Um so Poncho, who now owns his own bar in Oakland called The Hatch, everybody check it out. He told me about this. I can't believe you know. Wait a minute. Are we the same Poncho that owns The Hatch? Yeah, from Zimbabwe. From is that? Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, that Poncho. Yeah, that. Wow. Okay, yeah. There's another friend. Oh, there are a few friends. Oh, wow. I didn't know we had like this much mutual friends. That's I crazy. mean, of course we do. <laughs> <laughs> this town is small. But anyways. Um. So Poncho told me about this art therapy program in San Francisco at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Mm. And he's like, you have to check out this program. And I did, but I didn't have the health to do it yet. So I had to wait three more years until I was healthy enough to actually apply for this master's program. And I went back to grad school at age 29 Mm. and I did a three year art therapy program. I graduated a year and a half ago and now I'm almost licensed as an as a marriage family therapist and a registered expressive arts therapist. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> you you were so hungry. I, I think there's something about being obviously not that being in that state. I think there's a sense of um full appreciation of absorbing things like when there's n- this you can't function or there's yeah. nothing else to do. I can imagine you on that bed saying like, yo, like whoever is out there, if like I can just walk, Mm -hmm. I promise I'll be able to just do this. Just do that. I promise I'll not complain about the little things. And there's like a certain light from you of just like there's there's a there's a certain light from people that have been through physical and full physical and mental struggle Mm -hmm. to the point that the little things don't bother you as much right. i'm not i'm not generalizing you of saying like oh i got you you human like you know feel some few things does bother you but i bet getting out of that bed still gave you such insight of things of like why am i was why was i bitching about this Absolutely. you know and um one of the things i told uh, my friend zoe in the last episode i was just like um 
health, quote unquote, healthy people uh, got like 50 things, hella shit to complain about. Mm-hmm. But unhealthy people just got one thing to complain about. And one of the things they wanted is just health, mm-hmm. good health. Mm-hmm. And when I just think about that, I was like, wow. You know, it's like, imagine you're on that bed and just thinking of just that one thing. You're like, no, fuck everything else. <laughs> I'm going to go graduate school or this, whatever. It ain't too late. I, I'm, I, I feel I can do this. And that just gave you like so much energy and vigor of that it, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. much passion. And yeah, you're right. It does make everything kind of fall to the side and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, what really matters? What am I really going to get hung up on? Mm-hmm. And it definitely taught me how to be a really resilient person and also to prioritize what's actually important. Mm. And yes, I do get, you know, frustrated about dumb shit too, but (laughs) I can also let it go way easier than Mm. I used to. Uh, That's one. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm trying to learn, um, especially with some anxiety is like, I wish I could just have that very chill mindset. Mm -hmm. But one of the things like, even though I logically know that, yes, you know, you will learn through struggle, you know? Like, that word is a reason why people turn a new leaf or whatever. And there's going to be hardships and stuff like that. There's going to be uncertainty. And how we come out of that is, like, how, yeah, that's that's pretty much, like, the reward of it. Mm-hmm. So, no, thanks for sharing that story. And do you mind educating people what this, what this brain disease is called? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with three illnesses, but they're kind of all part of the same umbrella, Mm -hmm. I guess. So I was diagnosed, I was told I had Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, (sighs) and ME, which is chronic inflammation Mm -hmm. of the brain and spinal cord. So the the Lyme disease, was it through the tick? Was it through a trip or just like, you know, like because Lyme, um, like, like Lyme disease, yeah, illness. like yeah. especially on the uh, especially folks from the East Coast, I heard like usually that's a, a huge, <laughs> it's a huge, love, yeah, issue it's a over huge there. issue over there. Yeah, it's my understanding is it's not such a big issue over here in California. Yeah. But I initially actually first got the symptoms when I was fourteen after summer camp, and so <sighs> I have had several tick bites, but I also got a viral infection there. So the gray zone for me was that I had both a viral and a bacterial underlying issue. So I was kind of just put in this basket of mystery illness where they're like, okay, we think you have Lyme, we think you have fibro, and we think you have Emmy. So I still don't have full clarity on exactly what What happened. Mm -hmm. I just know that I was bedridden for several years and you know could hardly walk or sit or anything. So it that that's what's so and this listen I would never want to have cancer but I remember one of my friends who had the same illness after years of being bedridden she said she said to me she's like god I kind of wish I had cancer cuz at least they know what it is and they have treatments for uh, it. that's true because yeah. the treatment is a diagnosis and they'll right. know at least the steps to do like until that person gets into remission but with this with this symptoms like you had you like Doctors are scrounging around, whatever is like, what the fuck is this? You know, right? Or they, they just kind of dismiss best. it. They, oh, here you go. They dismiss it or they refer you. Oh my god, I can't imagine the journeys you've been going through, like from doctor to doctor, oh. trying to figure out what this. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you don't it, want to get to it, oh that's no, fine. I can go yeah, into yeah, that, yeah, and that's yeah, not to yeah. negate the struggle that people with cancer yeah, go definitely. through because yeah. cancer is horrific. Yeah. 
But I think that there is something um, really scary about something that's totally ambiguous and that they don't really understand it and they don't really have set treatments for it mm-hmm. or protocols. Um, that's it's really con- it's it's just really hard to go through that and feel like there's no container whatsoever. Mm. Um, so I went to tons and tons of doctors. Um, but it, I was just kind of getting shuffled around. And I think that Western medicine, you know, one of the, it's good at some things and maybe not great yep, at other things. People, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it, they had a hard time looking at it from like a systemic holistic level. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like, okay, well, if you have issues with your stomach, go to the stomach doctor. And if you have neurological yeah. issues, go to the neurologist. Yeah. But all of it was part of this like systemic chronic illness. And it didn't seem like anybody really knew how to treat that. Mm. Um, it was really tricky. I mean, I, I feel not to like overcredit myself, but I feel like I essentially figured out what I needed to do to heal. For example. Yeah. So I kind of was using my own t- intuition for a long time. So I, I did meet this great doctor from Stanford who gave me antiviral treatment. Mm. Unfortunately, um, He's no longer working at Stanford. It's a long story, but yeah, he, he got funny. fired. Um, but he, uh, he was a great doctor to me. Oh, is that the same doctor you were talking yeah, about? About yeah. the whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, got yeah, fired for, um, I guess, being inappropriate Harassment, at work. yeah. Something like that, mm-hmm. which I didn't have that experience, mm-hmm. but I don't want to negate other people's yeah, experiences. obviously. Um, but he really supported me, really helped me. He was amazing in that way. Mm. Um And then I found like neurofeedback to do. So I did a lot of neurofeedback, neural retraining programs. I worked with an herbalist. I did, you know, a lot of yoga and meditation Mm. and acupuncture. Um, I did do some pharmaceutical drugs over the year, but not a lot. Uh, And it was just kind of this nice mix of different tools I used. Mm. And I went from being completely bedridden to now I work over 40 hours a week. So it's, it's, I never thought I would get to this level of I'm functionality. I'm one of the most energetic people you ever met. I know. Like I would have <laughs> never known at all that you were bedridden and you look great. It's oh, like, this you. is this awesome. Like this is an awesome testimony because that's, that's amazing. You know, it's like, you know, some people have never been bedridden or everything, but it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, they take their body for granted, but yeah. I can tell that you don't take your body for granted. It's just like you pay t- attention to every single detail because you were you were being through something worse. So it's kind of like you had to relearn yourself, educate yourself about the symptoms you're having and yeah. talking to people and trying a lot of things. So that's that's dope. That's awesome. Oh, one more thing. If anybody listening Mm -hmm. has one of these types of illnesses. I was about to ask that. Yeah. 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 I highly recommend ANS Rewire. It's Mm -hmm. a program. ANS stands for Autonomic Nervous System. Mm -hmm. ANS Rewire is a wonderful program for people with fibromyalgia, ME, and even Lyme. Mm -hmm. And it's all about retraining the dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. Mm. So the guy who created it is a scientist who was bedridden for seven years <sighs> with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibro, and he's completely recovered. Wow. So I, I highly recommend his program. He's so knowledgeable. He really gets it. And I think it would be a wonderful program for anyone to check out. And I'll make sure guys, um, I'll, I'll ask you for the, the sources mm-hmm. at, every sources that you've 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 uh, gathered over the years because 
uh, information is power. I'll put yeah. in the podcast notes in terms of information. Awesome. Obviously, your contact in terms of your business and what to do. But uh, no, this is amazing. But in that in that case, it gets us to this to this question: mm-hmm. What does starting from zero mean to you? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> Well, it could even mean- though you expect it, but you're like, oh shit, I didn't know it was coming. It means it could mean two different things to me. It starting from zero could be like coming from a blank canvas, mm. like the realm of infinite possibility. Starting from zero could also be like everything's gone to hell, mm-hmm. and like what do you do now? And mm-hmm. you have nowhere to go but up. Yeah. So I think it could be either one, and for me, it's both. Mm. <laughs> like the balance between that ridiculous chaos like they can do but what what was that one I assume it can be what you're gonna say but what was that one instance well, well let's separate the instance like one personal instance and one instance that does made you say I just wanna be I wanna be a mind healer in a way yeah therapy is also mind healing so yeah. what are those two instances that kind of like you can highlight what does Star Wars mean to you? You know, I have an experience. It's very spiritual. Is that yeah. okay to share here? That is fine. Okay. That is fine. Um, Guys, take it or leave it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I, when I was bedridden, I, I really, I was like negotiate. I didn't really believe in something per se, mm. but I got really desperate. So I'm like, yeah, that's what, what am I going to do? I'm yeah. going to, like, yeah. I, I just started praying because I yeah. didn't know what else to do. And I started trying to like negotiate with this higher power. Like, if you just heal me, I will help so many people. Mm. I will serve the world. Mm-hmm. If you just heal me, I'll do A, B, and C. Mm. And it wasn't working. And I was coming from this place of like fear, beggar mentality, bargaining. Yep. And then there's something in me that shifted. And I felt just this really strong sense of peace and love inside. And I remember writing a letter to like my higher power. Um, and I knew the letter wasn't going to go anywhere. I didn't have anywhere to mail it, but I wrote a letter just saying like from my heart, like I really want to learn to heal and I want to support other people in their healing. And I just ask for a sign. And I remember the next day I woke up and I just felt like, just like love pouring through me from head to toe. Mm. And it was very meditative. Like I didn't have any thoughts. My mind was completely void of thoughts. It was just like pure crystal clear awareness and consciousness. And I just felt this flow of pure unconditional love flowing through me. And it was like, it was this weird paradox of being completely in my body, completely physically embodied and also like, so much deeper than the body like I Mm. felt so like myself and not like in a spiritual disassociated way but in a very much like so connected to myself and I just experienced myself as pure love oh pure love and and it's not even through psychedelics or anything it was just like you just woke up the morning bed radiant and just boom this thing just hits you yes it was just pure pure love and it lasted for several hours and then it faded off Mm. and i just felt it just everything changed after that and i had this experience of my truest sense of who I am is love, but also, you know, for me, my higher power was essentially just pure love. Yeah. And for me, that was 
space zero. Space zero was like, what are we beyond the physical body? What are we beyond our thoughts? What are we beyond our transitory emotions? That beyond everything that was transitory, there was just this infinite love. Mm. And so that was when I kind of felt like I reconnected to my original template of who I was. Mm And I was like, okay, I have been building a life from a fear foundation. And that is why everything I have built has crumbled. So now it is time (sighs) to build from a love foundation. And that was the shift in consciousness. And that's when I knew that I was supposed to be a healer. And I don't mean that in a pretentious way. I just mean I was supposed to go on a healing path. Wow. And you're like, okay, and after that, I was like, okay, how do I start this healing path? Yeah. As soon as, like, you like, you, your entity, as soon as I'm getting off this bed, what was, like, the steps? Can you imagine the steps you took, like, to start and be like, I bet part of your family members are like, yo, like, yo, slow down, slow down, what are you talking about, you know? Like, what were those steps, like you just said? Like, yeah. Fuck it. yeah. Well, it was a long process. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know... I'd like to think that I had this spiritual awakening and everything was smoothie gravy, mm-hmm. right? But it, it wasn't. It it was like another 10-year process of just going through healing. And I felt like a lot of the time I was in the darkness searching for the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And then I would find the lighthouse that would be my intuition, which would take me to the next step. So it wasn't like I could see the full path, but I could always see about 10 feet ahead of me. And so I would just follow the very next step, Mm. complete that step, and then look out another 10 feet. And that was like the path opening and revealing itself. Mm. I, I really, really, really learned to deeply trust my intuition. And so I just started like, I would start writing out stuff like I know that I need to an herbalist like I and I would write it down in like the present tense like I find an amazing herbalist who helps me with my health and then you know I might let a few people know about that and like suddenly bam I would find the herbalist Mm. I'd get very clear on my steps I'd let other people who I loved and trusted know about the steps and it just kept aligning where I'd get to each next step and so The physical healing part, it did take a couple years after that experience to get healthy enough to go back to college Mm -hmm. and finish my degree. And then- So you suffered this from 14 to 20? Well, let's see, I'm 34 now. Mm -hmm. Pretty much 14 to 29, I was really Uh, in it. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, guys, okay, okay, okay. Think about growing up. Getting to teenager, teenage yeah. years, what, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. Supposed to have a future or whatever. And boom, some, this thing hits you. you. You can't spend time as much with your, your close friends or whatever. Your family sees you as like, oh, is this, this is the sick kid. Mm-hmm. Through your teenage years, through hormone changing, all that stuff, being a full-fledged woman, like all these other things that, and all the things like you wish to do to get, and to 29, like I, I'm just trying to imagine, like, wait, hold up a second. It's like, that is a lot of things. It's, it's, it's kind of like, yo, you were in prison. That's how it felt. Like, what the <laughs> hell? You were in prison of like, 
the most critical parts of someone's life to make them to who he or she is. Well, it's a, I think getting an illness at a young age is a huge developmental trauma. Just like, you know, losing a parent could be a huge developmental mm-hmm. trauma, being assaulted. There's a lot of develop, you know, there's a lot of traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, but having an illness can be a huge developmental trauma. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, in a way they say like when the trauma hits, a part of you freezes in that space. So that's why like a lot of celebrities can be immature. Like if they became famous at age 15, some part of them is like frozen at age 15. So I felt like I had to do a lot of deep trauma work to sort of like release these frozen parts of me that didn't get to fully form. Mm. I I can imagine it's like, oh, sorry. I can just imagine it's like, oh, will I get to date? Will I get to do this? It's like, I'm so late in a lot of things. It's like, that is insane to think, you know, it's like, who's going to enjoy like a sick girl, blah, blah, blah. All oh this, my God. I like, have like, so yo, many like, beliefs around. I really thought I was going to die alone. Like, I'm like, <sighs> I am going to die alone. Jesus. <laughs> no, no, not like, no, I, I'm telling people to just like, imagine this is like, put yourself in that situation. It's like, I'm so late to a lot of things. It's like, of course, this is why, of course, like you, you have this awesome character because it's kind of like, yeah. I, I think anybody that does complain about shit to you right now, you have the resume <laughs> of hardship. <laughs> you don't, you, you don't necessarily need to explain it to them or show them. You're just gonna smile and be like, oh yeah, oh honey, you do, you don't know, you don't know hardship until you you you're in it. And, and it kind of caught me thinking. And so it's kind of like, how's your relationship with death right now? It's good. I mean. <laughs> no, no. It's, yeah, I know it's a broad yeah. question, but yeah. you are in a way, you were in a way like close to mm-hmm. yeah, that when you're, scale. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, well, when I had that love experience, I did lose my fear of death. So I don't, nice. I'm totally fine with dying. But I also really don't feel at my core that it's the end. Uh But aside from that, I also do grief counseling. So I'm really used to talking about death and Mm. dying. And frankly, like, I'm happy to be here. And also, I think I find a lot of peace in death. Like, Mm. you know, people, yes, death can be tragic, but it can also be freeing for people. And that's a hard thing for some people to think about, like, there's a lot of people who who are not suicidal, but they are happy that they will one day die because they will no longer have to suffer. <sighs> I know that's, I'm, I'm just keeping it real <sighs> though, you know? Mm. Sorry, I'm a little emotional your answer. Holy shit, that's deep. No, because a lot of people don't think that deeply unless like you really, really close to that. And Zan, if you, if you go before me, I'll, I'll make a promise to celebrate. Celebrate yeah, celebrate you. my life. Yeah, yeah. celebrate you. <laughs> I, you know, I always say like it's like I people. You know, I people have the, they need to grieve, yeah. right? But it's like I I would never want someone to feel like they can't continue no. to live their life if yes. I unexpectedly die. Yes. Like I'd want them to really live their life. And guess what? Is we were talking about cultural stuff, and it's also yeah. like in different cultures how they deal with death is so different. But I told my friends, I'm like, yo, like 
when that time comes, please celebrate. You don't have to be in black for crying out loud. Like, mm. don't make. I was making jokes like, don't make my fucking burial seems just just a, a weep fest obviously mm. explain your emotions but i want everyone to dance i want everyone to yeah. express themselves you know i want everyone to be aware of that sense of like yo everything is gonna be okay you're like you know we're gonna heal through this we're gonna celebrate you're gonna be merry it's like i feel there needs to be more of a reinvention in the western world when it comes oh, to yeah. burial but anyway everyone is sub it's it depends on the subject matter so of like how that person perceived life but that would be my wish before i leave this earth of like y'all better celebrate mm-hmm. absolutely Please celebrate you know celebrate <laughs> and, not, and, and thanks for for breaking it down and um now transitioning to the different things you do what are the things like even going to graduate school and um, studying a lot about therapy, what are the things like you underestimated? You know, you're, there were some expectations of mm-hmm. what you're what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. What was the thing that shocked you that still is, even though you've, you've kind of normalized to that sense, what are, the things, what are the things in therapy that shocked you when you went to school? When I went to school? Yeah. Mm. Well, I'll tell you. In general, like, in yeah, terms yeah. of system, in terms of like, yeah, no, because yeah. I like being educated by things like oh, that. Yeah, you know, my, yeah, yeah. my therapy like educated me about like, no, it's not all what it seems, you know. Well, I mental have health. to. Yeah. I think that the the culture of my graduate school opened my eyes to something important for me to see. So I went to a very liberal graduate school, and I consider myself very mm-hmm. liberal. However, I felt like there was sort of this trick of the ego where it was like all about being open and accepting. But (laughs) we were as a culture, we were very um, judgmental towards anyone who didn't fit in our little liberal box. Mm. And the reality is you're going to go out into the world and you're going to work with all different types of people. You're gonna work for with, you're gonna work with people who vote differently than you, who have a different religion, Mm -hmm. who have just a different paradigm of thought. And you have to be able to be in a place of kind of unconditional positive regard and loving Mm -hmm. acceptance towards that individual. And so I think seeing, and it's not that the school culture was trying to be that way. It just kind of is how it ended up being. It's, it's hard to not be judgmental, you know? Of course. And so I, it was a good learning practice for me to go inward and say, okay, how can I sit with someone who has a much different belief system than me and a belief system that maybe I feel is harmful, not only to themselves, but to other people. And how can I still sit with them and support them? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I love the example you gave when we had our first conversation of like the cards, the different cards you use, especially in the hospice people mm-hmm. like and learning, you know, they're different religious cards like yes, in, from yes. different sects. And I remember about the, the example of the guy that was like, why is why are you looking the Christian stuff? And right. you're like, uh, OK, you know, because this suits this person, you right. know, and like and I bet it broadened your mind even more is like, uh People are complicated Mm -hmm. and you got to like to be part of that healing process. You got to just see what can what they're what the alignment and thinking will suit your 
method of therapy mm-hmm. in general. I'll, I'll give an example of my with my with my therapist is like we we align and agree with a lot of things. It's it's of how how we actually communicate. He said like I remember when he talked to me about the different types of therapy in terms of uh, you have someone talk the whole thing you have the therapist write the notes mm-hmm. and not say anything and that's how he's like no i like it more of a conversational thing and as we get in more of the conversation thing you learn a little bit more about himself and myself we we disagree on like maybe maybe few things but why it's so good with him he was he'll say like let's say we'll disagree on something he'll say that well adora it's like i'm glad you shared that but i think this way it should be this way but Either way, yo, whatever suits you. Mm-hmm. And it gave me so much like relief. It's like even though he disagrees with that part, he doesn't he doesn't conflict it with his like um with his practice. Right. In a way. Right. He doesn't see himself as like, I'm the right person mm-hmm. in this room. And you should do this. Right. So it's like there's mutual respect yes. instead of it being like authoritarian. Of that, like authoritarian is like, come on, this guy is older than both my parents. And like I see him as like a very close friend, like like close friend already. Mm. And it's it's like, oh, man, now we're talking about death. The, the, the time he goes away, it will, it will fuck me up because Aww. it's kind of like, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not I'm not waving that fucking death flag on him so chill out guys it's like but still you know he's getting to that age he's still he's still very healthy but it, it, and i see him so I'm, I'm still gonna see for a long time and when he's gone it's kind of like now i have to think the way you're thinking of like yo this is just a continuum you mm-hmm. know it's like yes you're gonna grieve but you gotta celebrate this person's life but anyways they mean to get into that but going back to to the to the method that you're learning is like yeah you're like yo it's not all what it seems it is it's like mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta thought talk to different types of people you gotta be neutral unfortunately yeah you know you unfortunately hold yeah you know hold acceptance mm-hmm. and even if you're not neutral you have to know how to hold that and process that and not bring it into the work you do with the yeah. person how do you do with your mental state usually? I bet there's some heavy shit, heavy stories you, especially with your clients. You know, it's like, oh, come on, you're dealing with hospice. How yeah. do you exercise yourself after a day's work of like seeing someone on the verge of death or someone like, especially through our therapy that's been through shit like abuse or whatever? Mm-hmm. What are your constant practice you? Well, that's you, a great question. You, invoking yourself. So I You're do. Human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am human for sure. I do a lot of different things. I try to make my whole life like an act of self care and mm-hmm. alignment. So I mean, meditation has always been big for Perfect. me. I like to. I can meditate on my own, but I really like to do guided meditations. I do meridian tapping, where mm. I I tap on meridian points to like regulate my nervous system. I like to work out. I love Zumba. Zumba puts me in the hey. best mood and mm-hmm. I can do go to a Zumba class and just kind of shake off the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and snuggling with my significant other, Aww. just like, you know, love and companionship. Yeah. And I also have my own, like I do a lot of art for fun and mm-hmm. that really rejuvenates me and helps me just kind of not carry other people's trauma or stress with me. So I do a lot of like glass work, mosaic work, stained glass, Mm. um, fused glass. 
and I play the ukulele and I just bought a harp so I'm gonna learn how to play the harp and I like to sing and I just try to keep it fresh Mm. and always be learning always be having fun and just stay really connected to like the zest of life and that helps me to like go to work and I can work with like rough Mm -hmm. shit but I can also maintain keep my joy and release that energy and not carry it with me. Definitely. And um, in terms of the beginnings of like, I want to start my own business. What was the process of that usually? Now you're like, you're good, you're able, graduate school is done. What were the steps you, you took in terms of like, it went from family saying like, yo, what the hell, man? It's like, chill. Like, no, they're close. I tell people, sometimes the hinder to pro- progress, like your own personal progress or what you want to do, what stops people are the closest people that talk in their ears. Usually. Right, right. Examples like that or like just self-confidence. Like how was that journey until you say like, okay, and now I'm, I'm going to be practitioner and do this and do four different things oh my god i'm still rolling my eyes and like and i'm complaining about my one job four different things but yeah oh i also didn't tell you i i work for the northern california epilepsy foundation so i'm putting Uh, okay fine fine so i santa zandra morris Actually, that's your new nickname. I'll call I like you Santa. It. Yeah, I, I was like, you, yeah, I'll call Santa, you Santa. Santa. Yeah, Santa, Santa. There you go, <laughs> Santa, Santa. There you go. That's, that's your good. new nickname. That's good. That's awesome. Like if 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 oh man, that's that's an awesome nickname. But yeah, like whatever. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I put, I'm putting together an art therapy program for adults and kids at the Epilepsy Foundation. Nice. So shout out anyone with epilepsy. We're doing an adult program this April. Yeah. Nice. And it's free. Don't worry. This, this, this episode will be out way before then. I'll definitely promote your page in terms of like, you know, promoting that. So Awesome. But, but yeah. What was the, the original question? No, no, no. It's <laughs> I can't fine. remember. Look, we tangentially speak in this way, so it's fine. Perfect. It's, it's, it's fine. I was thinking on like the beginning stages of mm. when you're like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Here's the strategy I need to to do right. after like after you pretty much graduated. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did start my coaching business before I went to graduate school, Ooh, so yeah. I was still dealing with my health stuff. But you know, I've had a few friends with chronic illness, and I have to say, something like life coaching, where you can do it through Skype or over the phone or your own hours. It's kind of an amazing thing to do when you're going through your own healing process. Mm-hmm. And so I realized, I'm like, I can get a business license. I don't have like any overhead cost. I'm using Skype or the phone. And even if I only do it four hours a week, like that's okay. I'll just do what I can do. Um, and even if you only work four hours a week, if you charge $100, that's $400 mm-hmm. a week, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it, it's not, you don't have to necessarily do full work days if you're coaching. Mm. Not that $400 is enough in the Bay Area, but that's another conversation. That's another conversation. Um, so I just went to you know, the city hall and I, I got a business license, super easy. It cost like 70 bucks. And guys, it cost 70 bucks. I know, one of my friends told me that. I was like, what is that easy? She's like, yeah, it's it, that easy. It was literally, I just got a business license. I had it 
called Healing Light was is my business. And ah, henceforth be the light, my love. Yes, yes, yes. That's my Instagram name. So, oh, now I'm seeing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. <laughs> so that was it. I just got a business license and my significant other does web design. So he built me a website. Dope. And I told some friends and family that I was doing it. And it was really just word of mouth. And people, you know, just started emailing me or calling me to say, like, hey, I'm having issues with this. Like, could you support me? And if it didn't seem appropriate, I'd say, oh, no, I think you should see a therapist. But if it was something that felt reasonable for me to do as a life coach, because I had training in clinical hypnotherapy, mm-hmm then I would work with them. Mm. Um, And I, at first, you know, I was feeling, I was like a little baby. I was a little baby coach. So I started charging 80 an hour and that's what I felt comfortable at. And I slowly raised it over time. Um, And it was really that easy. It was super easy to start a business. I don't know what to say other than like, I just got a business license, website, (laughs) done. You know, but it was also a part-time thing for me because I was working part-time because of my health. And then I actually started working at a school. So I was doing like art teaching and coaching on the side. And then I went to grad school and I continued to do coaching. And I've been working at agencies the past couple years as a therapist, but on the side, I've still done coaching. So it's something that I've been able to keep in all these different segments of my reality. I hate it when when some big people just eat like you say like oh yeah I just did it like hey yeah I mean but that, that's really what you gotta do yeah I know it's like literally I, I'm not I'm not I'm not throwing shade but it's kind of like few people are like actually it's I just did it I was like what and then you just realize of just like the fears and all that stuff but especially with your personal experience of facing that like you were like, no, no excuses. It was like, this is what I was selling this world to do and I'm going to fucking do it. Yeah. Um, Plus, I already felt like I'd failed at everything. So I was like, well, like, well, in a way, because, you know, when you've been sick for so long, you're yeah, like, your you life miss, goes to yeah, hell. Exactly. You're like, every, like, my life has already failed. So you kind of are like, sometimes you kind of need to lose it all to get over your fear of losing it all. And then you're like, okay, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I don't get any coaching clients. Like whoop do fucking do, you know, you got to get over this fear of losing, it all when you actually, Oh my. So it's funny. I actually mentioned this in podcast one episode. Have you read on, um, Seneca, the Greek, uh, is like a Greek philosopher. Uh, uh, Seneca, I'll say it's kind of like the articles of Seneca. He's like one of the founding fathers of Stoicism. Mm-hmm. That's, did I pronounce it right? Being Stoic. Stoicism. Yeah, yeah. And he said, um, of, um, there was one chapter called um, Practicing Poverty. And what, to summarize what the chapter is about, is saying that it's pretty much saying what the worst can, could happen. Mm-hmm. If uh, you're worried of, what the worst can can happen? Practice having the lack of that thing. Mm. So uh, let's say example, simple example. We both love chocolate, mm-hmm. right? Um, shout outs to uh, Bittersweet Cafe. Uh, she's amazing, Lise. We were just drinking um, some very good drinking co- chocolate. <laughs> she's awesome. She actually gave me a free bag Ooh. all of a sudden. I thought it was close today, but she called me in and she just gave me a free bag. So. There's a reason nice. for everything. Nice, man of connection. <laughs> um, so back to that, it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's chocolate. 
and we both say, hey, we're going to practice not having chocolate for a whole year. Simple example, right? Then you imagine the scenarios, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? But this is an easy scenario. It's like, okay, we're not going to have chocolate for a whole year. So after that happened, what's the worst that could happen? You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's just say the world started having low short of a ca- cacao or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And there's later on, years later, there's no chocolate. We're going to think back to that year of like, okay, we're okay. We didn't fucking freak out. Right. And let's step to another level with some people. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Let's do without no coffee. <laughs> but I love a lot, coffee. <laughs> exactly. But a lot of people function with coffee and say, yo, let's not do coffee for a year. And later on, it's like, okay. We imagine the worst case scenario of the the of, of coffee being like being shortage. And actually it's actually happened, by the way. People don't don't get it. Practice like that. Then you step another level of like saying like, oh, I can deal without um then you step up to another most valuable thing that you can't do without for a, for a limited period of time, right? There's well there's, it's kind of like what's the worst that could happen? And after when you get out of that it's kind of a weird fasting or whatever that you can do because practicing that sort of poverty makes you like say like, okay, practicing that. And if that worst case scenario actually happens, mm-hmm. will I still be okay? And normally the answer is yes. Right. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> and I, you know, okay. Let, you know, being yeah. here in the Bay area, there are a lot of homeless people. Yeah. And if, you know, there's people who've been homeless for 10 years, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right people who have been chronically homeless and they, and I'm not romanticizing mm-hmm. being homeless because nope. it sucks, but they're still alive. And they have like people who've literally had hardly anything, you know, maybe they, they've been living on the street in shelters and they are still alive mm. and they don't have most of their basic needs met. Mm-hmm. And yet if you just have like a coat and water and a meal once a day or every other day, like you can actually survive not only for years, but for decades. Yeah. So we are very resilient human beings. And I think that we get so pampered in our modern modern day lives that mm-hmm. we forget, like there's so many things that we don't need to function. Like we don't really need technology. We don't need to watch Netflix. We don't have to check our email every night before mm-hmm. bed. We don't have to eat chocolate. We don't have to drink coffee. Like these are all great things to have, but you know, if we're using them as a crutch, we need to know, like, essentially, don't have to have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's really, I'm not there yet, but I think it's really liberating. <laughs> it's really liberating when you have, you can choose not from a place of compulsion, but just like, oh, that would be nice, but you can take it or leave it. Oh, when you like, I, I find it so relaxing for sometimes like, when you go fear facts, for example, you, mm-hmm. you guys are so familiar with like the dead zone and like cell, like cell phone signals and stuff like that. Yeah. It's so liberating, you know, looking at your phone for a while. And you're like, oh yeah, it's not. And like literally in terms of like, just having a, a very, mental like a clear mental state mm-hmm. of just like oh i can do without this totally i'm not gonna trip 
and and once you start practicing that and understand the lack of that you you tend to not and i thank you for that extreme um extreme uh, example of 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 some homeless people of just mm-hmm. like being survivors of, uh, out there and just saying like oh yeah we're fucking alive it's like basic needs and, and i bet like some of them are like the one of the best givers ever mm-hmm. i can bet so i can bet so like you know some of them because they know the value of of life usually mm-hmm. and that through your journey is kind of like oh okay you probably had that mindset of just like oh it's it's fine i'm alive mm-hmm. i've been bettering from 14 to 20 fucking nine and i'm not gonna waste my time with this mm-hmm. i wasn't bedridden that entire oh yeah yeah but, but sick sick yes, sick yeah. but still like a long distance sorry a long but it's man and i bet i can imagine your level of do you also deal with clients with chronic illness because that that actually helps oh, you yeah. know like you know coach through the process and of you especially you've been through it you know i'm actually uh, facilitating a group tomorrow morning called pain and wellness so it's mm-hmm. for people who have chronic pain mm. so yeah i do work with people with chronic illness i do work with people with terminal illness and i feel like I don't always, a lot of the time I don't share my personal experience of health issues, Yeah. but I think that there's a certain inner knowing that I bring and people can feel it and maybe they don't assume that I've been through something physical, but they feel like I get it or they feel seen. Mm. And I think that that's really important. On the flip side, people look at me and they'll go, oh, you're so young. You you don't know what it's like to be in pain or be ill or be dying. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, in terms of the experience, uh, you, saw, uh, you don't know nothing. I'm like, uh, okay. You know, yeah. so it, it, it's one of those pompous things. You know, it's just like I, I tell people is like there's usually an African adage. If you've heard is like they'll say uh, with age comes wisdom. I'm like, nope fuck you either you're a foolish man or a wise man with age comes experience yes yes all right no matter what yeah you can learn something from a foolish person believe me yeah but um no like in terms of like the experience being in that dark place also gives you that motivation to also motivate people especially in that similar similar dark space and that's super freaking commendable um can you explain a little bit about clinical hi- hi- uh, hypnotism? Uh, yeah, hypnosis. yeah. Ugh. Yeah, hypnotism, hypnosis, mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. Um, well, I went to the, what is it called? I'm free. It's been so long. I went to a school in Marin County for hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. So it's called the Her- Hypnotherapy Training Institute. It seems so cliche, but that's the name, the Hypnotherapy mm-hmm. Training Institute. And they have six levels of classes. So I completed all six levels, which makes you a clinical hypnotherapist, which means, you know, it means you're kind of at the top level of being a hypnotherapist, but it also, when it's got the term clinical in it, it means that you, you know, you could potentially work with like a doctor and do like clinical hypnotherapy to support someone in pain management, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, there's really advanced hypnotherapists who actually hypnotize people before surgery, um, who hypnotize people to like help them manage their chronic pain. So mm-hmm. you're going to like a really deep mind body level. Mm. Um, I have never worked in like a health clinic doing clinical hypnotherapy. I just started my own business and I didn't really advertise like 
the typical things that people do. I didn't do hypnosis for weight loss or, you know, stopping smoking or even pain <laughs> I was about to ask, maybe you went from a, from all of those cliche layers to that. No, you went straight up into the subject matter expert of what you wanted to, to deal with. with yeah, hypnotherapy. definitely. And yeah. I also, if, if people, if I had to pick what my focus has been in mm-hmm. coaching or clinical hypnotherapy, I'd say my biggest focus is anxiety and stress because mm-hmm. that's something that most people, almost, well, pretty oh, much Aaron. everyone deals Should with. I have it? Yeah. And so I think that like the number one thing that I've done coaching work on is anxiety and stress and working with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many fascinating ways to work with anxiety and stress it's just mind-blowing and a Mm. lot of it is learning how your brain and nervous system works and learning how to engage with it so that you can turn the fight-or-flight response off so i've had a really fun journey in myself learning to work with trauma and stress and anxiety and through doing that work on myself it's given me a lot of insight into how to support others wow I need to connect because I actually had another therapy, therapist on the podcast. Her name is Evelyn Mejia. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a family... Um, marriage family therapist? Marriage family therapist. It's like, I feel you guys are going to have fun talking a lot in terms of what your professions. Um, but what, what about those naysayers? Because they'll say like, hypnotherapy is not real. You know, right. not a lot of people find out that actually, yeah, people can easily get hypnotized. Some people can't. Some yeah. people can't. But like, what would you break down to someone like having no idea about it? Like, mm-hmm. even not even check into the facts about it. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons people kind of, you know, raise their eyebrow at hypnotherapy is because of how it's been portrayed in the media yes. as like mind magic or mind mm-hmm. control. And it's really not mind control. Are you it's, sure you're not using your, your powers for evil, like manipulating your significant other? Nah, I don't have to do that. <laughs> he loves she, me. Guys, she, she winked. She, she does it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> Defining <laughs> hypnotherapy. Oh, hypnotherapy. Yeah. So hypnotherapy, this is how I would break it down and mm-hmm. other people would have other answers. But for me, it's it's sort of like going to a light. You're helping someone go into a light trance state mm. as, you know, when people are meditating, they go into a light trance state. When they're doing Taekwondo, they go into a light trance state, yeah. right? So it's helping someone go into this kind of guided light trance state. And then you're basically working with the subconscious mind to shift the programming. So we all have different programs and beliefs, right? We're like a computer database and we've downloaded all of these different programs, these belief Mm. systems, these memories, these conditioned emotional responses. And hypnotherapy is about helping someone to access their subconscious mind, to release negative thought patterns, replace them with positive thought patterns to dissipate the charge on negative traumatic memories and have it be more neutral. And, you know, sometimes to release stagnant emotions. Mm. So it's like you're going into a computer database and you're just shifting the programming Mm. and you're just making it more 
positive and you're making it so that person can actually like reach their goals. So for instance, let's say you've got a woman who's like, oh my gosh, I really want to be in a relationship, Mm -hmm. but she, you know, unconsciously sabotages all of her relationships. Even when things are like really, really good. Even when things are good. Mm -hmm. And so her conscious mind is saying, I want a relationship, but maybe her subconscious mind, subconsciously, she has a deep fear of being hurt by someone. So even though she's consciously saying she wants the relationship, her deeper emotional state is it's not safe to be with someone. So she'll subconsciously sabotage a good relationship. And so a hypnotherapist might help that person go into her subconscious, look at the subconscious belief of it's not safe to be in a relationship, you know, somebody will just hurt me, and help that person um, work with any traumatic, or you know, not even traumatic, Mm -hmm. but just negative memories related to that belief system, and also just shifting the belief system. Because in order to get the results that you want, you do need your conscious mind and your subconscious mind to align. And people tend to misunderstand. It's not about deleting it. It's all about like, no, grabbing it Mm -hmm. and then dissecting it. And then maybe like, I don't know, learning more about it in in that sense. Yeah, it's about bringing awareness to it. Mm -hmm. It's about bringing awareness because, you know, what we resist persists. So we're not resisting it. We're looking at it. We're bringing the light of awareness to it. We're bringing love to it. Mm. And then we're consciously deciding, okay, like, oh, I've got some fear. I've got some anger. This is 10 years old. Mm. Do I need to continue to make reflexed, you know, choices constantly based on this outdated fear program? Mm. Like maybe their choices are based on, a memory from 10 years ago, but that's no longer their reality. So it's about bringing the light of awareness, you know, learning if it's appropriate to let go of a fear, because sometimes fears are there to protect us. Like Mm. if a bus is coming at you, you better jump out of the way. But we do have programmed fears that are no longer serving us. And so it's, it's about going into the subconscious in that way. And, you know, if that person feels ready, shifting some of those beliefs. Are there um, certain clients you face that hip- hypnosis do not work on them? Well, there's certain people that you probably just sh- not, shouldn't do hypnosis with. Sociopaths? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's people with severe mental illness, like someone mm. with schizophrenia, you know, multiple personality disorder. Yeah. You know, I think in general that, you know, it just wouldn't be appropriate. Um, some people can go into hypnosis quicker than others. Like I've noticed people who have, you know, a, a practice of meditation they do daily where they can drop into a deep meditative state easily on their own. They're super oh, I easy. I those people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those are the people that are easy to do. Oh, like they're the easy. People, oh, wow. Because, you know, it, yeah. it's really about slowing down yeah. your brainwave frequency and going into a meditative state where you can work with the subconscious and suggestions. So people who can can go inward deeply, it's it's easier to do hypnotherapy with so them. So whoever has the least resistance can dive in. Whoever has the the persistence or the more resistance is harder to do with, to hypnotize. Not necessary in that, in that not, scale. Um, to an extent, mm. to an extent. Mm. You know, and there's people who might have resistance to hypnotherapy, but there's there's lots of different ways to do hypnotherapy. Like, I don't even call it hypnotherapy a lot of time with clients. I just say a guided meditation mm. because a lot of the time it's sort of one and the same. 
it just depends you know it's really the languaging yeah thanks for clarifying that it's like i was like oh yeah this is kind of like a guided meditation oh, yeah. but until you said that, i was like oh yeah i just i maybe there's just a lot of like weird demonization about hypnosis a lot that a lot mm-hmm. of people tend to like there's a fantasization about it like as you say even the media portrayal about it and stuff like that it's like oh yeah no it's just it's just diving into the mind pretty much yeah wow and i mean any like you know when we talk about hypnotic suggestions Mm -hmm. that's when someone gives you a suggestion that you like take on um you know like okay when we someone is like a person of authority like maybe it's a doctor yeah they can say something to you and you take it so much more seriously than you would to than somebody else. Yeah. Or if it's like a preacher, a reverend, like that's why there's there's power in words. I was about to literally say that. Yeah. yeah. And so are there immoral hypnotherapists out there? Of I'm course. sure. Just like there are doctors or lawyers yeah. or anything. Um, but like hypnosis in and of itself isn't uh it's just meant to work with the subconscious to shift yeah. beliefs. And thanks for mentioning about like the power in words, because it's like, that's when you get into triggers, you know, mm-hmm. what's what a certain loved one or someone said years ago, you know, and all of a sudden maybe you're in the current relationship and someone said something close to it. And all of a sudden your mind just goes crazy totally. in a weird way. That's kind of a weird hypnotic thing mm-hmm. like on the hold of your mind a lot of people don't realize or yeah. you go to you go to church and the preacher just says something like maybe so simple but like the way he or she carries what he or she said just moved you you yeah. know yeah. and is a form of hypnosis come on music venues and stuff yeah. like that why is it that some songs will make you fucking cry well, we're is being it, hypnotized 24-7. Yeah, Like, when exactly. you listen to music, you're being hypnotized. When you watch a show, yeah. you're being hypnotized. You're going into a light trance and receiving something. Yeah. It's like, why does this song make me feel some certain way? You know, like, all these other things. And, no, thanks for elaborating on that, because it's like, people tend to underestimate the level of, like, how much we're being constantly hypnotized. Like, Absolutely. for the good or the bad. For good or bad. Yeah. And I would say, I would also say... You know, if if someone decides to go to a hypnotherapist and this is, you know, there are some great hypnotherapists out there. I think that I personally would go to someone who is maybe like a psychotherapist, also trained in clinical hypnotherapy, Mm -hmm. um, just because they have like a much bigger container for understanding psychology. Mm. Right. And there are some great people who just do hypnotherapy training and they're amazing at what they do. But there's also some people who don't have a big background in psychology and they do clinical hypnotherapy training and, Again, I just I would I would want the best of the best personally. Yeah, yeah. I was it's like it. this is your recommendation. That would be my recommendation is find no, a licensed psychotherapist yeah. who uses hypnotherapy as one of their modalities. That's that's dope. Yeah, and and people need to be aware of that, especially <laughs> when searching on psychology today dot com or whatever, and through someone's background. So, thank you. This is very useful information to people who are definitely open to that level of uh, of, of therapy. No, thanks for elaborating. Wow, I just didn't, I didn't think of hypnosis that deep until now. Wow, that's crazy. We are what we we, we what we put in our minds. 
Yeah, we really are. And I have to remind myself that, too, because I have to tell you, I love true crime podcasts. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I heard. Yeah, great things about that podcast. The reason I actually don't want to get into it is because I'll get obsessed with it. Like, usually. Yes, I know. (laughs) I I, I love true crime podcasts. I'm already addicted to a lot of different stuff already. So I'm like, not another one, please. I know. And I'll be like, is this good for my brain? Like, should I be listening about, like, unsolved murders? Like, I don't know. I just, you know, it is, you do have to be mindful of what you take in. Mm. No, no, thanks for elaborating on that. And what, what motivated you? Now, the hospice thing. Who in their bright mind, don't get me wrong, including you and everybody in that profession, kudos to you. Because that's one of the hardest shit you ever do, especially guiding someone that it's on their way out. Well, actually, I work with their family members after they die. uh, Oh, okay. After, not Mm -hmm. not during, like, but still, especially during grief and stuff. Like, even through the during and post, what was that motivation? Like... Well, it was just like, oh, this makes sense. Well, you know, I drove past this hospice building for years, and I always had this sense that I was going to work in hospice. I didn't know why. I just felt it. And then after I finished my master's program to become a licensed psychotherapist in California, you have to get your master's and also do 3,000 clinical hours that are supervised and then take your licensing exam. And so for part of my hours towards licensure, I saw that hospice... um, was hiring grief counselors mm. and you could get supervised there as well, mm. you know, have like a job and get supervised and have it count towards licensure. So I was like, you know, I've always felt like I wanted to be there. I'm have had loss and grief in my life. Mm-hmm. I feel comfortable in the realm of loss and grief and death. And it looks like a great training program. So I just went for it. Wow. <laughs> just that. So I just did it. I, I'm impressed how you said. I was going. I was about to say, "Oh, she's about to go into the deep shit." Yeah. <laughs> no, you were just like, um, "Yeah, my shit is already deep enough." So I just went for it. You know, that's yeah. that's what one of the things I love about you is like you're like no, and like it felt it makes sense. You know, yeah. Observing my life and especially what I want to do is like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. And going into that and talking to those family members, like obviously, obviously not allowed to to um, unveil someone's um, identity. Identity, but what was the consultation that really moved you, or like either the failure of it mm-hmm. or the success of that person, like going forward? Like, what was that a specific client that really, well? But like yeah. this like affected you maybe you can choose a client like affecting in a negative way and a client that affected you in a super positive way i i wouldn't say that i've had anyone who affected me in a negative way Good. um positive way so I, i'm gonna keep it really vague just because no you know. problem yes but yes. um you know i have noticed with more than one kid client but sometimes when kids are grieving there can be a lot of, one of the symptoms of grief can be refusal to talk about the loss or the death. Yeah. So you might have- I don't a, want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. You might have a kid come in for grief counseling, but they do not want to talk about it. Mm. And so what I learned through working with 
some bereaved children is that you have to really trust the process. You, you know, when you do therapy with kids, a lot of the time it's art and play based. So I'd have like, you know, art therapy stuff out and sand tray and whatever. Right. And give them creative space to just create, to draw, to sing, to build something. And I had to trust that they would emotionally express themselves through the arts. So like you might have a kid for months, they don't want to talk about it at all, but then they start to express it through their art. And it was really amazing to just step back, trust the process and watch kids facilitate their Mm. own healing process and that they do express it. It's just not always verbal. Like, for example, you see a kid, you notice a pattern he or she drew. And you come and go, oh, what is that? You know, like things like that to just like ice break maybe later on into that situation, that kid opening up and talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I don't know if you know what sand tray is, but like you have a a tray of sand and then there's tons of little miniatures of Mm -hmm. like people and animals and nature and transportation. It's like tons of tiny little miniatures and toys. And you can invite someone, adult or Mm -hmm. child, to create their own little world in a sand tray box. And so sometimes adults and kids, they will create a world in the sand tray box. And it might be really reflective of what they're going through. You know, and so I remember one time, actually, this has happened several times Mm -hmm. where somebody will have lost someone and they'll end up like maybe they don't want to talk about it, but they put little statues of angels in their sand tray or they put a little mini urn or like a tombstone Mm. and they're like really telling the grief story through their sand tray. Wow. So I've witnessed that with children and adults where it's like okay like you don't want to talk about it but you're still going to express it in some way Mm. and I think that that's really impactful because especially when you're in like a healing profession there can be this attachment to like I want to figure it out I want to fix it I want to help them I want to make this better and sometimes you really have to surrender and let go and just trust the process Mm. wow so you're saying you're a very patient person I mean, it depends on the day. (laughs) But you kind of, you know, I've learned to surrender more Mm. with patience. Yeah. Yeah. Like to, I mean, being ill taught me to surrender in my own life. But when I'm working with people, trusting the process, like sometimes I find myself being overly invested or wanting to fix it, and I have to go, you have, like I tell myself, you have to trust the process and give that person space to really be with their process and unveil things themselves. Even even when we have simple conversation with close friends, you know, I sometimes say, um, I I consider myself through my experience as a very trusting person, Mm -hmm. but sometimes like I have, for some reason people love unveiling shit to me i don't know why like i'll be in the cafe and some like elderly lady will talk and then all of a sudden she's talking about her 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 daughter being on drugs and all that stuff this actually happened okay. <laughs> it's mendy and it's yeah. like all of a sudden it's like i've not seen her ever since but it was like but either way it's like i've learned in terms of like giving the liberty to someone to say like hey um if you don't want to talk about it it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, 
learning to do that I, I'm, I'm very good at like learning to do that because I'm like if you're not ready I wanted, I wanted to give them because some people when it comes to friendships or relationships like they feel like oh no I have to say everything to someone you right. know right at the bat they go through that pressure which makes them unveil are you unveiling for the sake of friendship convenience are you unveiling or you actually really want to unveil, uh, unveil are you in the space to unveil right, about right. what you're about to tell me that's why I like giving people a chance so it's like hey if you don't want to talk about it like I respect that when when the time comes, please, you know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm right here, you know, like one of my friends, like I've known for for years, you know, was like, you you don't know one of my very close friends I've known for years. I didn't know about know about his the relationship with his sick dad, mm. you know, and that freaking touched me, you know. I, I wasn't I wasn't like oh wow why didn't you tell me about this? I was like oh my god I didn't know you were going through this. You know, and, and it was so refreshing of just telling him and saying like, hey, look, I'm glad you having your own process of, you know, processing this. But hey, I'm here if you right. want to talk, yeah. you know, and learn that from you again of like patience and just like giving someone space to say like, hey, I want to talk about it. And when a few relationships, those so many spouses, they'll be like, I don't know why he, he, he doesn't want to talk about it. I, I was like, I'm like, okay. Right, right. I, I get it. <laughs> you want to be, you want he or she to be honest with you all the time and say everything. But I'm sorry. It's like everyone has a different process, and and depending on your tolerance, obviously in the relationship, then you just gotta know and just give someone space to just when the time comes. So yeah, I admire that patience in you, especially dealing with people in grief. That's crazy. Yeah. I call it like loving detachment where like you give Ooh. support, but you're not <clears throat> like that. You're not attached to like, oh, well, you, you should have told me this or like, mm -hmm. why didn't you do that? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, because sometimes, too, you'll give clients like, you know, homework, you know, like, oh, well, you know, if you, you like, I recommend you read this article or do this meditation and they might not do it. And like, that's OK. It's like it's sort of the loving detachment of you're there to support them, but you're not overly attached to the outcome mm. i love how you put those words together normally those two words in love and detachment are usually uh what is what is that what is that they're term? like contrary to one another yeah uh shoot i love this fancy word it's not coming to my it's a juxtapose it's i usually, like that word yeah, yeah i love that word it's, it's kind of like it's usually a juxtapose but how you just aligned it all together is like oh yeah even though they seem contrary and juxtaposed, is like, oh yeah, like that, those things can happen. Yeah. And that's when you talk about boundaries. That's when you talk about a, a lot of things. That's when you talk about space, mental space, physical space, all these other things. Like you learn through that. And learning through your profession, like how has it improved your personal relationships with your significant other, your family? You don't have to reveal much, it's fine. But what what was the thing that like through your profession is like significantly improved your personal life in general? Well, I think that I've kind of had this frame in my mind. Well, for, okay, number one, I think when you're really fulfilled and you love what you do, yeah. it just improves, it can improve every area of your life. So when I'm happy and really fulfilled, then I'm probably a better friend, a better daughter, a better mm -hmm. sister, you know. Mm. But then also, 
I think just being with people all the time and hearing their stories makes me more empathetic and compassionate in general. And what was the last part? There was a last part to what I was saying. It's it just fine. totally Take your time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it just it left me. But basically, yeah, I think it's made me more compassionate and empathetic. And also anything that happens in my personal life now, I'm like, oh, this can help me be a better therapist. Like, okay, mm. maybe I'm having conflict with my mom. Like, mm. okay, what can I learn from this? You know, how is this going to help me when I'm talking to somebody who's having conflict with a parent? Yeah. Right? So, like, I don't necessarily have to completely separate my professional life from my personal life. Like, maybe they both can teach one another. Maybe I learn things from my per my personal life that helps me in professional life. And I learn things from my professional life that helps me in personal life. Mm. So I just see it all as part of my spiritual path. Nice. And it's all just a continuum of me. Yeah. And in a way, I'm, I'm kind of envious like, of where you are in terms of like you're able to have personal improvement even through your career, usually. Mm. There's some people's careers that is like totally detached in terms right. of what they want to do in their personal life, you know. But the fact that you have that continuum of like not necessarily mixing your career with your personal life, but you're able to grab something from that and put in your personal life. Yes, even with my profession, like I've learned some few other things to put in my personal life. Right. But with your line of work, it's it's a very good mend, in my opinion. Well, thank you. That's yeah. kind of what I was going for. I mean, I think in a way, when like when you're really sick, right? Mm. You everything you do has to be really aligned because like if you do anything stressful, anything that's like stress stressful in a negative way you know, like something that you just really don't like, it's going to affect your health more negatively. Yeah. So I had to get really clear on what gave me joy, what felt really fulfilling, what felt really aligned. And I've really had to stay on that path because my body has been such a sensitive barometer. Mm. I, it's like a truth barometer. Like, oh, truth barometer. yeah. <laughs> and then people go like, I actually don't find my jobs very stressful, to be honest. Really? But people are like, oh, that sounds so stressful. And I'm like, I don't find it stressful. But that see, is if an I, amazing, my amazing state to be. I mean, apart from the commute, but that's an amazing. Well, state the commute's kind of stressful. <laughs> but like the job itself, not not really. Has, like very, it's very rare that I would say, "Wow, this is stressful." Oh, it, it brings joy to my heart to say that. That's awesome. But I think if I did something I hated, I would find that stressful. Mm. So. I'm not saying that I'm immune to stress. It's just, it feels so aligned to me that stress isn't like a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. And what have you found out of, um, actually, how would I phrase this question? Yes. What, um, I even talked to Evelyn about this, I believe, uh, on, on this particular question, but what do you feel in the world of therapy? Mm-hmm that can be improved like right now like you to choose like a um, very good list of the things like <laughs> wow but that was that number one thing like currently in your mind that systematically we need to we need to enact oh no so excuses you know that's a hard question to ask because mm -hmm. there's so many things that could be improved yeah. i mean funding for mental health <laughs> do you know what's funny one. do you know what's funny uh -huh. she said the same thing funding yeah that's like one of the 
Like, I think that was, like, the top one she said. Yeah. Yeah, funding for sure. Mm. And then there's a huge issue in the field because it's so hard to become a therapist in in the, in the state of California, and I imagine in other states too, but you you have to do so much to become licensed. And, like, thankfully I got paying jobs for my licensure process, yeah. but a lot of the jobs in California don't pay so like a lo- there's a lot of people who go through those 3000 hours without being paid. Jesus. So either what? they ha- yeah, so either they have someone financially supporting them or they do it over like a 6 year period and just do it really slow part time while they're working yeah. another job. And now the thing is like that in general people who come from backgrounds of more privilege are more likely to become therapists. Mm. So that's why there's it's like there's so many middle-aged white women who are therapists. I see what you're saying. And so there's a huge issue with like diversity in the yep. field. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another issue that yeah. needs to be addressed. And the, the truth of the matter is that nobody should be working for free. It's, oh, it's, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Can you imagine coming out with a master's degree and you work <laughs> as the- th- <laughs> You work in debt and you work as the therapist for free for several years? For free, no benefits, zero dollars an hour. That is the state of California. That's how they treat therapists. Uh, Yeah, I know. It's insane. (laughs) Another thing that I learned. Oh, my God. Now, granted, I got paying jobs. Yeah. I'm very grateful. but, But more so than not, the jobs are not paid. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's it's so there's not like 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 full on funded. I mean, there is, but there's not like a full-on funded agency like you're guaranteed to be part of or whatever. But no. in most cases, that's why a lot of therapists like do their own practice or they'll like rent a, a, a place part-time, whatever, to to do their work or something like that. Well, I mean, you can do whatever you want yeah. once you're licensed, but before you get licensed and you have those, you know, mandatory 3,000 clinical hours... You have to find where you can get the hours. And they're, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, because they use the term internship, they can like legally not <laughs> pay like, you. So but basically disgusting. someone has a master's in counseling psychology, they're doing therapy and they are not getting paid. Uh, it's a huge problem. And that's why a lot of people go, you know what? I'm not going to become a therapist. This is ridiculous. Yeah, Can you imagine the amount of like great, talented people yeah. that just say like, no, I can't do this yeah. in terms of the amount of talent just because of like, no, you got to have a roof over your head. It's like, you can't, you can't just slouch and say like, oh, this is what kudos to a lot of therapists like this is what i'm passionate is what i want to do but not for the expense of like not putting food in your mouth or like having the roof over your head or being in fucking debt yeah oh yeah and it's so contrary it's like therapists are telling everyone self-care self-care but then they're being put in this position of not being able to care for themselves at all you know (laughs) So it's crazy. I mean, and I made a living this year, but I worked crazy hours, crazy hours. You know, I was probably doing like 60 hours a week, you know? So it's, it's just, it's crazy. And I actually did want to bring that up so people know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's really a, a problem and it's, it's huge exploitation. Wow. So apart from California, there's no other state that has a better 
better law you know there probably are I I was talking to a lady from Idaho and this was some years back but she said they didn't have 3,000 clinical hours she had 800 clinical hours she had to do huge deficit and she was paid very well for her internship hours she was getting like 90 an hour that is awesome so Every state's different, but in the state of California, I, and I, I can't speak on all states, but in the state of California, it's a huge problem. Why, why is that? What, I mean, in terms of your research, is like, Fun, you don't, well, funding, just funding in general is like, there's just not enough legislation push, push in that. Yeah, and also because like a lot of the places where people get their clinical training yeah. and hours, a lot of the time it's like community agencies and they are using um, associate therapists, interns to provide services that they pay nothing or very little to, and that's what they can afford to do. So when you get these like sliding scale community agencies, yeah, yeah. and you're, you know, it's like, oh, I only have to pay twenty dollars for like a, a therapy session. That therapist is probably not motivated as much. Well, they might be, but they might not be getting paid at all. They might literally get zero dollars an hour. So, like, uh, I mean, yeah. Sorry, you just. I know. I know. What? It's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. And, and like, this is what pisses me off. Like, um, from therapists, teachers. Like caregiving nature professions is like from what I've noticed in the states, get the short end of the stick short end of the stick. Don't get me started on how teachers are paid. Oh, a yeah. lot of people's a lot of people assume if you want those people to assume like, oh yeah, the teacher get summer vacations or whatever. No. They're also working off school hours and stuff like that and prepping and all this administrative stuff that goes on depending on the district and i know two teachers in my life that they get it they get stressed out so much because of like money out their their account for like buying kids some like equipment not enough funding from the administration all these other things and you guys are nurturing people in terms of that profession, nurturing people, but it's like, yo, nurture people still need to be taken care of. And a lot of people get, love them, get stressed out and, and quit and do something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, that's what happens. You and know. people say like, oh, well, you know, there's this kind of weird idea we have where it's like, well, if you want to help people, it shouldn't, you know, money shouldn't be a uh, part of it. Right. It's totally disagree. It's I was like, like, do you hate money? <laughs> well, but also you need, you need money to live. Yeah. And so it's like, are you saying that the people that want to help people don't deserve money? And then jobs that are more detached from humanitarian efforts do deserve money? The money, that's, that's I mean, to- everyone deserves summary. to make a living. I'm not yeah. saying, but you know, it's, it's, it's a weird belief system we have. Like, well, you should just be fulfilled by the fact that you're doing something good. Like, who are you to want to make a living? Like, there's a weird, there's a weird uh, belief system there. Mm. Or like... Or some people, especially artist friends, sometimes mm-hmm. you know I'm gonna go go too. In terms of putting their their work out there, yeah, amazing art, no matter what. Me, it's like no, I I don't want to get, I don't want to sell out and get mm. money. You know those type of those type of talks. You know, you, yeah. And you talk to them, and it's like, are you fucking crazy? It's like, do you know how much hours you've put into this shit? <laughs> Dude, like yeah. you know and and you, you need like because some of them need those those friends like me or people like yo you need to take care of yourself yeah and that artist 
is like working weird weird hours in some restaurant or something else and they get stressed out and they can't get motivated to create their work or they quit those part-time job and they go fully full like full-time into art and they underestimate sometimes of like how much it like they need money you know they're near mm. some but some of them don't know how to don't feel great about asking because it's like oh this is something that's going to be expressed i was like uh no this is you <laughs> you need to be compensated yeah know? absolutely and i think again it, a lot of it has to do t- talking about hypnotherapy yeah. like beliefs around money mm. like what are our uh family beliefs around money our cultural beliefs are you know whatever we all have downloaded certain beliefs and we play that out in our lives mm. and what is that certain if I don't get like personal, what is that certain belief you found out with yourself mm-hmm. innate in you that you try to tame, that you're trying to struggle and have a good relationship with? I mean, I, I've done a, a good amount of work around beliefs around money. But mm-hmm. like when I first started my coaching business, I was like, oh, my gosh, like $80 an hour. That's too much. Well, I mean, I <laughs> like felt, like, I, felt like, like I couldn't go lower than that just because I was looking at what people actually charge and 80 really was the lowest nice. end of it. Nice. So you, I was like, okay, like I'm looking at what the market has and mm-hmm. like it, okay. it really, do the research. I can't do less than 80 an hour. It mm-hmm. just, it just, it's very rare that someone in that profession in yep. this part of the country would charge less than 80. Mm-hmm. So, but I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to work really hard and I have to make it worth that $80. In that sense, I see and granted, I went, you know, I'm, I'm in Marin County, I'm in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people who are coming to me were, were very well off and $80 wasn't a big deal for them. But anyways, I felt like I was overcompensating and trying too hard because I had I this like belief around money versus like really trusting like, oh my gosh, I'm giving great support and advice and I'm doing great sessions and like I am certainly worth $80 an hour. So now my rate's up to 120. Know your worth, people. Yeah, and even 120, once I'm licensed, I'm gonna go higher than that. Mm. So... You know, it's like it's been in increments and it had to be authentic. Like I couldn't go from 80 to 150. I was like, okay. like one day I was like, I'm no longer 80. Like I'm 100. Mm. And it was like I went, you know, it's been over like a six year process that I went from 80 to 120. And, you know, maybe one day I'll be 200. But mm-hmm. it, it, it it's not really even about the number. It's just about what feels authentic to you and what feels aligned. Mm. And I also like the balance of working with people who have a lot of resources and also working with folks that don't have resources. And I think that's the beauty of being a therapist is you can do both. Mm. If you want to offer support to people who are very affluent, you can totally do that in like a private practice model. And if you wanna work in community mental health and work with people who don't have many resources, maybe they're homeless, maybe they're incarcerated, you can do that too. And so I like that I've been able to like have that balance of both. Shit, you're doing more than like, way more than love some religious sex do do in terms of like, (laughs) be actually being of service and going out and like (laughs) certain people so i call you santa yo oh that's so sweet yeah it's a win-win i'm really happy what i'm doing and i get Mm -hmm. to support others and so 
You know, it's like moving out of that old paradigm of being the martyr or being sacrificial. Mm. I don't feel like I'm being a martyr or being sacrificial. I feel like I'm doing something I really love and enjoy and I get to support other people too. Yeah. And so it's more of like an abundance model. Like maybe I could have a really great time. I can love what I do. I can make some money and I can really help other people. <sighs> like That's it doesn't necessarily too. have to be one or the other, you know, we can have both. All right. And let, let me get into maybe, maybe I can guess your flaw a little bit. Let me, let me do some, maybe a little bit of psychotherapy on, oh, my, sure. on my side. You're a giver. Mm-hmm. Giving mentality. For sure. I'm that, I'm also of a giving mentality. We've talked about this a little bit. Do you give in a way, even from what you learned, do you give like out of fault sometimes without even worrying about yourself usually? And even mm. sometimes like not knowing your true worth in a way. Oh, it's, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, because you have that mother mentality of mm-hmm. like always be nurturing, always be caring, but sometimes there are times that like maybe a friend, close friend or a senior is like, yo, what the fuck, Zan? Like, take care of yourself. Like, ah, nah, I'll, I'll take care of it. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just guessing is like, you know, mm-hmm. there's a double edged sword to For everyone's sure. personality. Yeah. And I think a lot about like archetypes, like we've mm-hmm. talked about archetypes that we all you know, on some level in, in terms of like Carl Jung stuff, like we all have ah, all the archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I definitely have a really strong mother caregiver archetype. Mm -hmm. And to try and balance that out, I try to practice a lot of Mm self-care. So like just eating healthy, exercise, resting, not making plans. (laughs) Um, But it's a dance. It's It's a delicate dance. And I historically have had a tendency to overgive and not replenish myself yeah. enough. And I feel like, especially over the past year, I've shifted that more. Mm. And I think I also know that when I really, really, truly honor myself, that I do have more to give long-term also. Mm. So it's not enough to do self-care. It's the state of consciousness you have when you're doing it. Uh, you know, it's like, it's not enough to be like, okay, I'm going to get a massage and I'm like going to eat a kale salad. But are you actually just like releasing and letting go and just being you and having fun when you do it? Mm. And so I'm really good at doing the acts of self-care, but now I'm trying to work on my state of being as I do self-care. That's a great answer. (laughs) That's a great answer. It's because I talk to myself a lot. So I'm really good at like giving answers. I'm not kidding. When I was sick for years, I got so lonely that I would just think about conversations I wanted to have with people Mm. and I would just speak them out loud. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I would just like, like I would almost pretend I was doing my own podcast and like talk about different subjects and I'd do it completely alone. Have you thought of doing a podcast? Um, yeah, I have. I have no, there are a lot of people that do podcasts alone and just talk. Oh, talk. Like, like without interviewing somebody. No, like without interviewing someone. There's, there's a good, now we're talking about Ooh, talking like to ourselves. No, seriously. Like yeah. talking to yourself of like, um, there's this podcast I, I follow. Her name is Christina Hutchison. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's a comedian in, in New York City. Uh, the, the podcast is called Voice, The Voices in My Head. 
Oh, interesting. And she says some. Oh, she's hilarious. She's she's awesome. Like she just says some hilarious stuff, and she gets into some deep shit. You know, even her childhood and all that stuff. Just random rants, but you can't help but just listen to her. You know, Ooh. and there are a lot of formats like that. Like that, just like so free form or whatever. It doesn't have to be a specific subject. So, and in a way, during your your times of sickness, it was kind of like, no, it's definitely not crazy. It's, it, you were just like, that was a way of your healing process and just like having those conversations. Like if I was to have a conversation with myself in front of mm-hmm. me, it's like, what will I be saying? You know? Totally. Hey, it's really easy to do. And also when you're really isolated, sometimes mm-hmm. you need to like do something to remind yourself you're alive. So I'd be like, okay, so I just talk out loud because mm. it's like, I'm still here. Do you do that sometimes? <laughs> Maybe like so sometimes like, oh, it's, it's, it still happens to you. You'd be like, you'd be driving and you'd be like talking out loud and stuff like Occasionally, that. Occasionally yeah. I still do it. Yeah. And I definitely will talk out loud to myself. Like when I'm like, okay, I've done this. I need to do that. And my significant other teases me. He's like, you're so crazy. But <laughs> yeah, obviously. I'm like, well, I'm just <laughs> saying what I'm thinking. Like, I'm just orienting myself. No, like, know? Therese, like, oh, fuck you shit. No. <laughs> I'm not responding to, like, the voices in my head. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to reveal how much voices here. No, but, yeah, especially when you, you're isolated. Yeah, you find different ways to... To definitely, to definitely cope with that. So that's that's a wow. Yeah, and that's I've, crazy. I've I've had and I don't want to like paint this picture that wow. I've had this super tragic life. Like I've had a lot of amazing, great things mm-hmm. in my life, and I've had hardship. So mm-hmm. I've had both, mm-hmm. and um, I think I think it's kind of great because it's made me. I don't know. I think it's just made me a balanced person. I'm more resilient. I'll be I'll be pissed off like no, your I think your karmic balance is in a good way from what I've seen. And I feel that if the universe gives you a short end of a stick, I'll be like, no, fuck that shit. That's not fair. She's been through a lot. Oh, that's sweet. But <laughs> even like, if I nah, got even like, if I got the short end of a, of the stick, I think there'd be something to learn in it. Oh, why like, are you so positive? Well, I have to trust, you know. <laughs> I have to trust. <laughs> that is so, po- that's a, such a positive way of doing it. And like, so what are your nice 2020? What is your goal this year? I don't mean to make it like oh, a yeah. crazy interview question, but what's your goal this year? I've made, I'm, about it. I'm all, I'm all into the vision boards. Mm-hmm. I made a couple really beautiful vision boards mm. and I wish that I brought them to show you, but one of them is just the self-care vision board and it's just full of images of like beautiful self-care like olives and salmon and berries and yummy little cup of coffee and a lady doing Zumba and yoga and stretching. Like it's just like all beautiful self-care. So like one of the huge important things for me this year is just self-care. But then... Really, my biggest goals this year are to finish my licensure process, so to become a licensed marriage family therapist and a registered expressive arts therapist. So I have very strong professional goals this year. Mm. I've pretty much done all my 3,000 clinical hours anyway. Congratulations. Thank you. I just need to study and, you know, go Mm. through my paperwork and stuff. But, yeah, that's my big goals are just licensure now. 
And will I be calling you doctor soon or what has in that world? No, I'd be, a, I'd be a licensed psychotherapist. I'd have to get a PhD to be a doctor. I ah. might get a PhD eventually. Damn, okay. We'll see how I feel. Okay. okay. <laughs> a potential future Dr. Morris, you know. Dr. Zan. Dr. Zan. Xanax. <laughs> and guys, she's a dork. So. <laughs> oh my God. But no, not like... Thank you so much for this useful information. And can you, um, to wrap up, um, can you tell people where they can find you, uh, the sources from, especially from the sickness, like when you were talking about NAS, ANAS, Rewire, like all these other things. Like just spat out like as much information as you you can. Obviously, guys, it will be in the show notes and I'll get as much information for you guys to, to dig deep because I have... I, I have two close friends that have like chron- like chronic illness. So Aww. it's like it's 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 also a very good thing if they they hear it or something like that. Maybe there's something they can make use of. And also like sign up for your consultation. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um so in terms of the recovery programs, the things that I found really useful, ANS Rewire, mm-hmm. that's Autonomic Nervous System Rewire. And you can just Google that. There's a comprehensive online coaching program and it's got information on um, basically how to heal the nervous system when you have a severe neurological disease. Mm-hmm. There's also this really cool neurofeedback program called Brain State Technologies. Mm-hmm. And I did use that neurofeedback system and it did help me a lot. There's also the Gupta training program mm-hmm. and that's all about um, rewiring your brain. As in Sanjay Gupta? Dr. No, Sanjay Gupta. Ashok Gupta. Different, Ashok, different yeah. Gupta. Mm-hmm. But I know that Gupta too. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like some of the shout outs to the, the main programs that mm-hmm. I would look at. And then to reach me, that's a great question. I, I could just leave my work number. I don't know if anyone will call me. But what about your website? Is it, is it You know, now? I actually have my website down right now and my significant other's redoing my website for me. Oh, okay. So yeah, I don't currently fine. have an active website. So you're down if I put the num- your number. You know what? I'll do my email. Oh, Email's yeah. Best. Email. Yeah. I usually do email. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So email. my email that I'm using right now is Zan, Z-A-N, period, Messina, M-E-S-S-I. I-N-A at gmail.com. Zan.Messina at gmail.com. And where does um, Messina come from? I I worked on a film called Messina High. So it was it <laughs> Oh I didn't know you do you were into film that much. I, I did work in film a little bit. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> life story. <laughs> um yeah, and so I do coaching through Skype, the phone, uh-huh. and in person. And nice. A lot of it's just like mind body work. I work with chronically ill people. I work a lot with like stress and anxiety. And um, if you're interested or have any questions, you can message me. And if I'm not the right person for you, I can always give you great referrals. It's mm, awesome. And it's called The Healing Love uh, LLC. My, I like, <laughs> that's a great name. It's Healing Light. The Healing Light. Healing Light Coaching. He- healing Light Coaching. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Well, Emily. Last words before we sign off. Um, Maybe a, a quote or something or a funny thing that just came in your mind just right at the, right at the bat. I, yeah. I, can I share a oh, poem random. I wrote? Yes. Okay. It's about love. And it's going to take like two or three minutes. I don't care. Okay. This, my, 
This is my spoken word called, I know what love is. I woke up and I realized the script I was writing is a fake. See, I lost myself in delusional dreams, but now I'm finally awake. Because what I thought was love was never really love. See, I thought the ache in my heart was an indicator that this is real. I thought misery is what love makes you feel. But I woke up today and I finally knew what love was. See, love was never about me or searching for someone to set me free. Love is about waking up from your own dream and seeing people as they truly are. Hmm. It's about loving them unconditionally from your heart. And love isn't about hating someone who doesn't serve your needs. And love isn't about what you can do for me. See, I woke up today and I finally knew what love was. And everywhere I turn, people are writing their own unique scripts and stories full of pain, jealousy, envy, remorse, and sorrow. And they sit there wishing, praying they'll find love tomorrow. Mm. But I know love does not suffer and love does not hate. Love is patient and love, it will wait. See, I woke up today and I finally knew what love was. No one seems to see it. No one seems to feel it because they keep searching outside. And when these external forces wound them, they quickly run and hide. But I woke up today and I finally knew what love was. And I knew it was love because I watched the pain dissipate from my soul. Um, bars? <laughs> Holy shit. And you thought of this this morning? No, no, no. I wrote this, this a while, while back. Ago. I just remembered it. <sighs> okay. No other words. she's so awesome guys in that sense good morning good afternoon 